G'day. How you going? And uh, welcome again to another Life of Mine Finance follow-up. So last week we interviewed Ben Kingsley from Empower Wealth and he gave us an awesome experts rundown on property investment. And the bloke we've got today, well, he's the Ben Kingsley of the stock market. I've, I've given him that name. He, that wasn't self-proclaimed on his behalf. <laughs> anyway, I'm uh, talking about Scott Phillips, who's the Chief Investment Officer for The Motley Fool Australia. Now, The Motley Fool, it's a stock market advisory firm, and they give out stock tips, market and company research to, to their subscribers, and heaps, heaps more. So, Scott and I had an awesome chat about the philosophies behind the share market, and how to attack it, and like all in the aim of setting yourself up for a rich and happy retirement that uh, again that passive income we talked about in the in the property episode with ben so this episode it's it's far from the textbook explanation of it all it's 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 the most fun i've had so far and uh scott scott's an absolute champion i can't thank him enough for coming on so now make sure you subscribe to scott's uh podcast that he co-hosts called motley fool money and it's bloody awesome. It's my weekly go-to. I'll never, I'll never an episode. And also check out his uh, website for their free newsletter at uh, fool.com.au, as in fool, F-O-O-L. It's, uh, we go into the quirkiness of their uh, company name. It's a uh, yeah, great, great organisation. So let's get into it and get ready to sit back and hear that, unfortunately, the stock market investing lifestyle doesn't involve fast cars, suits and adrenaline rushes sorry if that's the hollywood uh misconception that you had but uh yeah unfortunately it's a bit of a success is from the slow and boring path and here we go without further ado ladies and gents scott phillips Uh, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Uh, I'd like to say uh, nice to meet you, mate, and welcome to the show. But th- this isn't our first. Uh, this isn't our first meeting together, is it? You're about to throw me under the bus, aren't you? I'm just. I'm just going to get it straight out of the road, <laughs> straight away. So Fair enough. It's a, All right, hit me. It's a hilarious story. So Scott was kind enough to come on the other week, and we uh, did an interview for a follow-up on our shares episode, and. Um, and it was about five days later. I'm like, oh, you, you mind sending that audio file over, Scott? And I think he'd been trying to run around uh, like a headless <laughs> chook trying to figure out what happened to half the audio file that seemed to be blank. And uh, so we're, we're rehashing round two here. And, uh, yeah, look, this is no reflection on Scott's uh, technical capability as a share advisor. <laughs> but he's, <laughs> he's, he's just not a media man, I don't think. But, oh, Thank- uh, Thanks for not the audio mate. recording business, mate. Thanks oh. for not the audio recording business. <laughs> oh, mate, absolutely hilarious. But thanks for um, thanks for sparing your time again, mate. And look, this one's just going to be even better, I reckon. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or, or, or worse. So if this ends up badly and you're listening to this podcast right and you think, that's terrible, trust us, the first one was much better. If you think this one's great, then then this was the best one. So take your pick. Yeah, yeah, we cater for everyone's needs. How's things, mate? How's things? <laughs> Mate, things are good. End of the financial year, of course. Um, a, a decent year for the stock market. I hope I'm not stealing any of the thunder. Um, but you know, pr- a pretty good year for the market, a pretty good year for our services. So a, a couple of ticks in the right boxes. Um, even house prices apparently stabilizing. So 
I, you know, it's hard. I, I'm an optimist by nature, as, as you well know, Matt, by now. A, because we've talked last time, but also because you've, you've seen me and heard my stuff. Um, so, I, you know, I'm always going to look on the bright side, but frankly, I reckon in investing, that's a smart way to go. Yeah, and look, look have you noticed any, because if you look at the property market versus the stock market, stock market's at all-time highs and property markets have significantly pulled back in the last couple of years. Have you noticed much of a, seen much of a, a flow towards stock market investing away from property, I guess, in your eastern states area? That's a really good question, you know. I don't think the numbers would necessarily support it. I think part of the problem is that people who who, who might have already been investing in property, frankly, have kind of had their, had their net wealth cut by, by a, couple of, a couple of notches. So there's not enough cash to go into shares. I will say there does seem to be a bit of action, a bit of activity in some of those, you know, the so-called wax stocks um, that we've talked about from time to time. And I think to some degree, that might be taking a little bit of speculative kind of attention away from property. You know, those old zero to 163 properties in three years books, um, they they have their place, preferably not on anyone's bookshelf, they have their place. Um, but, you know, at some level, I think there's probably a little bit of euphoria, speculation, call it what you will, gambling in, in the market at the moment. Maybe there's a correlation there. Maybe it's just because tech's running hot and hey, why wouldn't it be with the, the sorts of money that people are throwing at this stuff at the moment? I, I think we'll probably know a bit better in hindsight. Um, but yeah, it looks safe to say. And look, I'm not a, I mean, I'm a shares guy, right? But I'm not an anti-property guy as much as I have a... Oh, look, I think the, the property spruikers are, are an awful thing, but that's a different question. But property as an asset class does have its place. Um, I, I personally prefer shares, particularly unleveraged. If you're going to leverage up, that changes the story a little bit. But I think just generally as, a, as an asset class... You know, uh, property is perfectly fine. Uh, I just think you'll probably get better returns and, frankly, more tax-effective returns out of out of shares than property. Yeah, yeah, and and as you said, like property is, I guess, a form of leverage. So it is. Uh, there's a lot of people that right, have been right. stung in Sydney uh, and places like that that might have bought at the high and it's gone low. But as I said, um, and I spoke to Ben Kingsley the other week from In Power Wealth and shares property it's all the same thing in terms of it's a it's a long-term decision you're making to invest you're not looking for turnarounds right. overnight and uh that's what i guess that's what we're going to talk about again today and uh <laughs> yeah see so, that booted again mate oh, you get sore toes oh, mate you keep kicking me like that oh no i'm just bloody oh it's gonna be hard mate uh, the the the, <laughs> ner- the nerve of this novice podcaster to come in and start hanging shit on scott phillips i'll tell you what Bloody a bit rude. You're doing a pretty good job. You've started strongly. <laughs> oh, that's it, mate. Uh, Scott, how about just give the listeners a bit of your bit of your background, mate? Like when you first started getting into investing, and I guess a bit of brief brief uh, recap of the path that's taken you to the uh, top dog at Motley Fool today. Oh, mate. So yeah, I'll try and keep the story less boring than it actually was. Um, back in the back in the dark old days when the internet was young and and TV was almost still in black and white. I, uh, I look so a couple of things. I, I was always a, I was always interested in business and investing when I was a student at school. I, I can remember, and this is going back literally before the internet. I remember getting the the Herald or the Fin. I can't remember which one it was in the Eastern States. Sydney Morning Herald, it would have been. Um, opening up, looking at, looking down the share tables. You start with the A's and Adelaide Brighton, and then go to, you know, BHP, and then go to you know Cochlear or whatever it was at the time. And kind of the only way you'd find out is go through the. The thing with a ruler, and you literally look at the company name and the dividend yield and the PE and the market cap, and that was about as much as you could get. You could probably get fifty-two week highs and lows, and from you know from a public source, unless you were buying books or subscribing to a literally a physical data source, that was it. But I always knew that investing 
was was a good thing to do. I'll, I'll give my high school economics teacher, Mr. Barnett, a bit of credit. Um, I'm pretty sure he was he was pretty influential too. So I kind of had that you know about me, and I, I liked business, and I kind of just got it instinctively. Um, and then you know, kind of went to uni and studied commerce there. And then I kind of you know dabbled around a little bit with shares and made a bit of a frankly a meal of it early on. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I knew shares were good. I knew I knew investing was good, but I didn't really know how to do it or what I was doing. So. On the advice of a mate, I was buying and selling shares in the old MIM, Mount Isa Mining, way back in the day when, you know, the old story of, you know, when it goes up, you sell, when it drops, you buy, you keep doing that. Apparently, that was going to make me a fortune. It didn't, as you won't be surprised to know. Um, and then I stumbled across, again, in the new physical newspaper, sitting at my desk in the office, uh, an article about The Motley Fool. And so this isn't necessarily a plug. It turns out I ended up working for the company because I liked the company as a customer. I, I was a a customer and a community member there since 1998, if you can believe that. Yeah, right. So we find ourselves now 21 years later, I'm, I'm working for the company and kind of, you know, the old, you know, remember the old Remington, Remington Shavers ad? You know, I liked it so much I bought the company. <laughs> it's kind of like that with me and the Motley Fool. I kind of, I like working, I like, I like being a customer so much that when the opportunity came up to join the company, I kind of jumped at it and, and that's where I find myself now. Yeah, and it's it would have been interesting because you look at Motley Fool, you look at the logo and the name, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a quirky <laughs> it's a bit of a quirky sort of thing. And that, that's what I thought when I first saw you on the uh, Sky New business business back in the day. Well, what's this bloody Motley Fool? And, and it get, I guess the, the name and the uh, randomness of it gets you pretty intrigued. So yeah. I, I don't think it's either or, right? You, you either get the everyone thinks they're the funny people who've just come up with the joke. Oh, fool! Ha ha! You're a fool. It's like, guys, seriously, we've heard that like 84 million times. That's that's pretty much done by now. Uh, but you're right. Look, and here's the again, without wanting to without wanting to plug the company specifically, um, you know, the, the, the motley fool. So in, in Shakespearean uh, prose, the motley fool, literally the multicolored fool, was the court jester. So we would call the court jester oh, today that, in Shakespeare's time. Sense. It was the motley fool. That makes sense. And the now, motley fool. Your logo. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, and the court jester was the was the guy. It was usually a guy, the only person who could tell the king the truth without getting in trouble. You know, you couldn't be a a courtier or or, or someone in, in the king's court, the queen's court, and and give them the bad news. Gee, you, you know, you suck at this, or you've done this badly, or this is going wrong. Um, but but the the jester was kind of he was the actor, he was the comedian, he was the kind of you know the person who could who could tell the truth, but do it in such a way that. It wasn't directly offensive, um, and so the idea of kind of speaking truth to power is where we get our name. The, the Gardner brothers, who co-founded the business in the US in '93, um, they came up with the name. They're both English majors, funnily enough. And that's the other thing about our business: we're not full of kind of you know deeply, deeply overqualified wonks. Um, we generally are people who find a passion for business and investing, and then kind of let ourselves be led and, and, and kind of learn from there. So. That's where the Motley Fool gets its name. But as you say, um, mate, the number of times I've called a, a company conference call, he says, oh, you, you know, can I have your name in your company, please? Yeah, Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool. And they say, sorry, what? Say, the Motley Fool. <laughs> sorry, Fool. How do you spell that? F-O-O-L. And then you hear this pregnant pause. Uh, just a second, sir. Let me go and check something. And you can tell they're actually kind of, you know, wandering off to make sure they're being pranked by somebody as they check with <laughs> someone in investor relations to make sure they're not, you know, they're letting someone on the line for a conference call who's going to, and of course, they almost always come back and say, oh, that's okay. Yes, of course. You know, um, it's same when we're introducing ourselves to new companies. We've got to start by saying, hi, I'm Scott Phillips. I'm from The Motley Fool. Okay. Now, strange name, but let me explain. Um, it's not the best way to get in the front door of a, of a company you're analyzing, but uh, it does absolutely stand out, as you say. In a world of acronyms and, you know, this and this capital and that and that equities and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's nice to be The Motley Fool sometimes. Yeah. Oh, and look, you're... 
Triple M podcast, the Motley Fool money, sums it up perfect. The bit of the, the add in between where it says, not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. That's the, uh, <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love that, mate. Oh, I, wouldn't mind being, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being not a couple of dicks with a Porsche, but I guess no, no Porsche is, is fine. I certainly don't drive a Porsche, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I don't reckon the doc would either, does he? No, although he's a bit partial to Tesla, as you know. He hasn't got one yet, but I reckon uh, that's his next purchase. Yes, I have heard that a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you have. <laughs> uh, great, mate. Look, uh, just before we get into a bit of the purpose of this episode for everyone, before we get into it, it's just uh, we've got uh, we've got the experts in to give a bit of uh, expand on my novice advice for the share market. And, um, and I guess a bit of we're trying to tailor it for the mining people uh as for themselves just a yeah a bit of as i said a bit of expert advice bit of and look before we get into that scott let's just because we need to validate your that you're human and that you like uh, that. that people people uh people know that even uh, the stock pickers and the the guns on tv have actually uh made costly mistakes before they get to them today uh yep mate i assume that happened you sort of alluded to that earlier that you so sort of made a balls up of it early on. Uh, give us a rundown of that, mate. <laughs> sure. Um, so so with the bad news, it gets better from here, right? That's the arc we're going on. Yeah. Um, look, you know, it's one of those things. So I, I always, you know, we, you want people to want to invest, right? So people who are listening to this podcast now, hopefully will take something away from this and say, you know what, I probably should go and start investing. And that's what we want. That being said, for some people, the worst they can do is actually be right the first time. You know, if I'd have put... 100 bucks down or 500 bucks or 1,000 bucks down on a particular company, I've made 10 times my money. I would have been so convinced I was a stock market genius that I would have set myself up for an absolute lifetime of disaster. I probably would have lost, instead of four figures, I would have lost five or six figures at some point because I got too big for my boots. I thought I knew everything. To some degree, I think for most of us, the best thing you can do, as long as you don't get discouraged, the best thing you can do is lose the first time. Because it kind of keeps you humble. It kind of reminds you that, you know what, you're not all that hot um, and you're going to make mistakes and, you know, you've got something to learn. So I was pretty, in hindsight, pretty lucky. I also was starting investing around the dot-com boom. And so this is kind of 98, 99 as we're kind of getting into that. And I, and I, I, I didn't go, you know, um, knees deep, neck deep into into tech stocks necessarily and certainly not, you know, the high flying stuff. But I didn't have my share. I had Sausage Software and I had Computer Share at the time and others. That, that really did crater. In fact, I, I also invested in Telstra Tranche 2, T2, at I think 790 or something, 970, one of those two, um, and lost money there too. So I had my I had my share of kind of early failures, and that was, I think, to some degree, uh, probably humbling at one level, but even, I mean, I didn't feel particularly humble. I just kind of felt pretty, you know, disappointed that I lost money. But I do reckon if I, if I look back now, I do really find, you know, I think I was probably pretty lucky. I made some early mistakes. It taught me to learn more to understand more frankly it kept me looking around i think maybe if i'd been right the first couple of times i'd be off chasing some black box share trading system now rather than you know the, the long-term kind of fundamentals based investor that i am based on frankly learning from uh, all companies as i said the motley fool itself i literally found that in 98 99 excuse me i read almost everything i could find from the fool um you know had had things turned out differently i could have been in a very very different position so yeah i mean i lost i've lost plenty of dough on plenty of companies one of the things, and just a quick tangent, one of the things that most people get, well, yeah, one thing, probably most people get wrong about investing is the, the, the so-called experts, the, the professionals, we're not right seven, eight, nine times out of 10. You know, there's there's some sense that if you're a stock picker and you say, hey, I like stock X, Y, Z, whatever it is, that you'll be right all the time. And if you're wrong, then obviously you're a dud stock picker. I've been right professionally 
about six times out of 10, quite literally, in terms of being able to beat the market. Now, that sounds really ordinary, right? The difference is, A, I'm winning more than I'm losing, so that's that's a positive. But the net result of that is if you do that often enough for long enough, the average winner tends to be even bigger than the average loser. So not only are there more winners than losers, but the average winner gains more than the average loser loses. And if you put all that together, that's kind of how you build a market-beating return. So I've had heaps of mistakes, but I've got one of my recommendations now is down almost 90% at the time of at the time of recording. Um, and that's that hurts, like that's that sucks. I know members have lost money. I haven't lost money, but I've lost a bit of reputation on the back of it. It, it just feels really crappy to be the person who said, hey, buy this stock and it goes down 90%. But then I've also you know, recommended stocks have gone up tenfold. Now, if you compare a 90% loss with a 1000% gain, it doesn't take a, a rocket science, a bit of year two math will tell you that one's larger than the other. And if you can do that sort of, you know, they aren't all that extreme. Those are the two most extreme recommendations I've made. But if you get that broadly right, the average winner can gain a whole lot more than the average loser can lose by definition. Uh, and that tends to be what's right. So I guess the message there is don't be too discouraged. Take the early losses and remain humble, but don't be too discouraged when you get things wrong because you're going to have to if you're going to be a successful investor. Yeah, and look, I'll regurgitate something from our previous interview that you said to me, um, and it's a good way of looking at it. Like if let's just say you start with ten thousand dollars and you lose half of it in the first year and you're down to five thousand you've got to double your money the next year just to get back to where you started and this is this will lead into that i guess what we're talking about is we're and a lot of people won't i guess the common misconceptions about stock market which has been probably falsely portrayed in uh wolf of wall street and all those all those movies that show the high flyers in uh (laughs) <laughs> wall street driving yeah. around in all this and it just yeah like yeah it's that boring slow return that is your mm-hmm. guarantee because as, as you said as soon as you lose half your money you got to double it the next year to just to get back yeah, to where you started exactly. compared to uh boring old scott phillips making 10 percent and just 10 percent after that and 10 percent each each year so and Look, I'll, I will ask before we get into the, I guess, the dangers you can run into buying stocks mm-hmm. with minimal experience. Now, I put it, put myself into a miner's shoe. We're sitting at the wet mess. So the wet mess is the pubs on site and you're sitting there and you're yep. having your, having your six pack up, up at work and uh, some uh, self-confessed stock picking guru rocks up. He's like, mate, <laughs> get on stock abc it's going up it's already doubled it's two cents and it's yeah, four cents yeah. and i've got a guy on the inside he just yep yeah, he, it's oh, going man. up and it's people just think the only way to make big money in the stock market is to buy these two cent shares and they're going to go up to a dollar let's let's talk about the i guess the greatest investor in uh one of the greatest in world history warren buffett is still still ticking along now what is. what is his, I guess, average annual return that he's seen over the years? Uh, just to give a comparison to how I guess how false these uh, looking for these doublings are. I look, I think that's right. So, so the first thing I would say is, you know, th- th- there are no guarantees, right? So when we talk about any of this stuff, all, all I can do and all I've done as an investor is look back at history and said, right, based on history, what do I, you know, what what, what is most likely to happen and why? Now, uh, Berkshire, Warren Buffett took over in 1965, right? So we're now talking about, was it uh, 54 years later? Um, he, he's compounded over that you know, 54-year period at 20.5% per annum. Uh, now, that's that's pretty good. And that was spectacular, actually, obviously. That, that's that's a, the equivalent of a 2.4 million percent return. 
Yeah. And that's the that's that's why that's why it's important, right? So twenty percent, you say, well, no, I don't want twenty percent. I want to double. I want to triple. I want to go up fifty percent. Of course, we all would love to do that. And if, if frankly, if any of your listeners can tell me how to do that regularly, please send me your, send me your number. I'll, I'll hire you. Um, no, no one can do that reliably. If Buffett is literally, as you said, the world's best investor ever, and he's delivered, I say only in air quotes, twenty percent per year over that period of time. But as I said, it's enough to turn you know, it's enough to gain two point four million percent. And you know, those are the sorts of, of kind of life changing um, returns that as an investor you can you can get just by frankly sitting on your backside and letting letting kind of time do its thing. Now we won't all get Buffett like returns. In fact, none of us will. I, I certainly won't. Um, I'm not that good. No one I know is no one I know of is that good because Buffett is genuinely a complete. You know, he's, he's just a uh, one out of the box. You just you're just not gonna you're not gonna be, be better than Buffett. But the the important thing for that is that it's a it's a business that. You know, it's a, it's a process as an investor that just lets time over time do its thing. Now, Buffett's had he had years of losing, I think, almost half of his investment cash in in given years. Right? He lost forty eight percent of his his portfolio value in nineteen seventy four. Now, if you think, okay, well, you know, he's Buffett. How can he lose the you know forty percent? Well, actually, in two thousand eight, he lost thirty one percent. In ninety nine, he was down twenty percent. So he's this is a guy who is the best investor ever who has absolutely had his backside handed to him time and time and time again. Now, by the same token, he's made years when he's doubled his money and years when he's gone up you know, 23%, 27%, 30%. So it's it's possible, it's probable, frankly, that you'll do very well over time, but you've just got to let time do its work and understand that market, markets are volatile. You'll have up days, you'll have down days, you'll have up years, you'll have down years, quite frankly. Um, and when Buffett can lose half of his portfolio value and still go on to a 2.4 million percent return, that's pretty bloody impressive. Yeah, and, and look, I guess the, the way you got to explain it to, I guess, people looking to get into the market is like, look, if a share's worth a dollar, you've got to be happy with the fact that in a year's time, it's a dollar twenty, and everyone would look at that right. like, oh, how boring as batshit is that? <laughs> but that's, and exactly. look, the proof's in the pudding, because, uh, and it's, that's the thing, and that's the, I guess, another misconception, because Buffett in those years in the GFC where he's lost 30-odd percent, probably wouldn't have even phased I'd assume it probably excited him because he's like well these stocks are at an all-time low I'm going to buy 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 and because he's thinking 20 years down the road whereas I guess you the entry-level investors think right the market's crashing I've got to sell everything and then you miss yeah. you miss out on I guess that rebound of returns yeah exactly and look so I'll tell you something uh, I've talked about percentages right and they're a little bit esoteric a little bit out there in 1965, Berkshire shares were worth $19 each, one nine, right? As we record this, they're worth $322,000 each. That's 19 <laughs> to 322,000. That's the value. And so you think about 20% a year, okay, it's not much. You know, it's a dollar, then it's a dollar 20, then maybe it's a dollar 42, and then it's a dollar 68. But, you know, they're, they're pretty small gains and you kind of think, geez, that's boring, why would I bother? The answer is because if you can turn 19 bucks into three hundred twenty thousand dollars, and again, no one will, right? We won't do this again. Buffett is probably a one-off, but halve it, or, or even drop, drop it by drop by two thirds if you want to. If you went from nineteen to one hundred thousand, you'd be pretty happy. For nineteen to a thousand, you'd be pretty bloody happy, right? So these are these are you know long-term stuff is is really hard. We're, as humans, we're just not evolutionarily born to do this stuff. You know, we're we're used to seeing a lion on the savannah and running up the nearest tree. You know, it's a cause effect, cause effect. It's right now, it happens now. If it doesn't happen within a, within an hour or a day, we're kind of sick of it, we're over it, we're moving on. Not only is it hard, as you say, to go from a dollar to a dollar 20, you feel okay, but the year after, the dollar 20 will go to a dollar 19 or a dollar 15. And then we'll think, well, geez, now, not only did I not make much money the first year, I actually lost money the second year, what the hell am I doing? 
And the answer is, well, sitting on your backside, adding regularly to that investment portfolio and turning that money from not much into a hell of a lot over, frankly, an entire life. And if most people like you are young blokes who are, or young ladies who are getting started and putting some money away, I'll tell you what, mate, you would, you, you know, the extra 10 years of compounding at the end of your life if you start early is literally worth a million bucks. And I'm not, I mean, that's no exaggeration, right? It's probably worth more than that. Depends how much you invest and all that kind of stuff. But if you think about it that way, the couple of bucks you put aside now are probably worth five or six figures by the time you get to 65. Yeah, exactly. And look, look, what's the, what do you say, the, I guess the edge that Buffett had, like you look at Buffett in like, I guess you got to compare him to a sports person like what Roger Federer, there's, there's thousands of, yeah. thousands of thousands of tennis players throughout the world, but he's, oh, I guess over his long term, he's just had that little fractional percent of an edge over everyone else. What's, I guess what's given Buffett his edge, do you think? Is it look, is it probably cash flow by now? He's just got so much ability to buy when markets are crashing that other people don't. What what's given him the edge? Yeah, that's a really so there's, I mean there's a couple of things that are technical about the way he runs his company, but there's then things we can't replicate. So I'll I'll leave those alone for for a wonkier podcast we might do another time. <laughs> but the, you know, Buffett himself has said you don't need a super IQ to be an investor. In fact, he said, you know, if you saw someone with an IQ, I don't remember the exact quote, something like if you saw someone with an IQ of 140, you'd sell 20 IQ points because you don't need them. Buffett himself, and Buffett is a certified genius, right? He, just, he is just super smart. But even himself, if you ask him, and people have, he says his greatest advantage, well, there's probably two things. The first is absolutely temperament, right? And that's exactly what you're saying about just keeping your head when everyone else is losing theirs, right? Being able to say, hey, shares are down, that's cool, I'm buying more. In 1999, there were article upon article upon article saying how Warren Buffett's lost it, right? The tech stocks were on a charge. And for those who don't remember, because it was 20 years ago now, which makes me feel very, very old, um, the dot-com boom was in full swing in 1999. Everything was going to the moon. Anything, you know, People would literally change the company names to put dot-com on the end, and the share <laughs> price would double. It was, I, I kid you not, this was at the heights of stupidity. People were, other people would launch, launch you know, websites and then list the company without a business model, without any revenue. Like just literally, hey, we're going to go into the X space. The most famous version example is pets.com. Funnily enough, now making a lot of money selling pet food online, but at the time, it was literally just an idea. It was worth you know millions and millions of bucks. Um, and people say, Warren Buffett's lost it. He can't keep up. He's, you know, he's old school. He can't, you know, the future's here. He's not keeping up, all that kind of stuff. Buffett didn't throw out the rule book. He didn't start buying you know, crap just because everyone else was buying it. He wasn't worried about the fact he wasn't making money when other people were. He literally just said, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I know works. I'm going to keep doing it. Sometimes the market will favor me. Sometimes it won't. And that's completely okay. And he will underperform, he said as much, when the market's running hot because he's not going to take part in that stuff. But he'll also outperform when the market's running cold because he's invested in solid, dependable businesses. And again, if that sounds boring, it absolutely is. Investing shouldn't be a sport, right? It shouldn't even be a hobby, really. If you want to, if you want a hobby around investing, learn about businesses, read business biographies, business books. I've got a heap of them. I give you a dozen recommendations. You know, it, love business, but don't love the kind of up and down, following the share price like a bloody horse race stuff. Checking your portfolio eighteen times a day, five days a week. Um, you know, see what's changed. Oh, that's up a cent. That's down a cent. Th- that sort of stuff. You know, it's going to make you crazy as an investor. It'll make you do stupid things, quite frankly. Um, you want it. You want it to be boring. You put money aside regularly. You invest in stuff you think will go up. You recognize some years are great, some years are bad, and over 25, 30, 40 years, you'll make a fortune if you buy quality and you invest regularly. Yeah, and look, you could. I'm sure you could give us a good recap of what the stock market's been doing this week. But I, I reckon you wouldn't even. Uh, when, when did you actually give up trying to pick the market day to day and come to the realization it's just an absolute waste of time? 
So I'll, I'll tell you, mate. We're recording this on a was it Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning, Tuesday morning. Um, I have no idea what's happened in the market this week. I couldn't tell what happened yesterday. I have no idea. Yeah. Didn't check. So you know, and, and like you know, that's. If I was working for an investment bank, I couldn't admit that, right? Because it makes me seem like I'm lazy or somehow not paying attention, um, which is great because I'm not. Pay, I, I'm not paying attention. Uh, am I lazy? Probably, but that's not why I'm not doing it. It just has no value to me, right? Anytime I spend trying to think about where the market was yesterday, where it might go today. It's just a complete waste of time because you can't know. And there is nothing about yesterday's movement that I was reading about today's and vice versa. You just, you just, it's impossible to, you know, people who say they know where the market's going are either lying to themselves or lying to you or both. There, there, is, no, there is no third way, right? Just, that's, that's the only choice because no one can know by definition how, you know, it's, it's like trying to work out, if you go to a football game, watch 40,000 people in the crowd and then try and work out what they're going to eat for dinner on the way home. I mean, good luck. You, you know, the, the market is nothing more, nothing less then a group of people all buying or selling stocks on a given day, maybe they're generally happy or generally unhappy, but how are they going to be tomorrow? You know, what are they going to do tomorrow? Who knows? No one can know. So to your point about watching the market, mate, look, I, it takes a, it takes a while. You know, it really does. There is, as I said, the evolutionary biology, we're so attuned to what's happening now, what's happening now. We're impatient. We want stimulus. All that crap works against us as investors. And that's back to Buffett's thing about temperament being the biggest gain or the biggest benefit for him. We are so attuned to wanting this stuff now, to knowing what's going on, to having an opinion. That's how bloody you know CFD traders and, and uh, brokers make all their money, right? They say, you've got to know what's going on. Mate, don't you know? If you're smart, you'll work it out. Come here and make all this money. And we can't help ourselves, right? We think, well, I guess I'm, I'm pretty smart. I guess I should be able to work that stuff out. And other people are making money. I guess I should too. Let's go and do it. Uh, which is just, it's just terrible, terrible, terrible advice. Um, in their defense, it's not advice. They are selling to you. They're not advising you. And that's the first clue. Um, so, you know, it, 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 it's just crazy. I think, look, I, I mean, I probably, it, it took years to stop stop obsessing over the market. I learned earlier than that, it doesn't matter. So for the first couple of years, I kind of, you know, wondered and thought, and, you know, 10 o'clock it shares be up, and by four o'clock they'll be down, and I wonder what's going on. After a couple of years, you kind of, you, you watch it because you kind of feel like you should, but you, don't, you know you're not going to know. And maybe about five or six years in, you, you just literally stop bothering because it's just, it's, it's crazy, it's useless. Um, and it's just a waste of time. You're much better off, frankly, go fishing, go to the shops, watch TV or read a business book if you want to. But just do anything other than watch the market because it will, it honestly will. But that stimulus, we're, we're human, right? We are, our monkey brains cannot help. If you give us that much stimulus, we just, we, we can't help responding to it. We just can't. Um, and so the only thing you can do is close the browser, turn off the, turn off the data feed, turn off the news. And just forget about today's share prices, focus on the long term. Oh, that's a, the, the funniest thing I've just realized out of this is we're not used to, uh, Seen, seen your mug on TV each day on Sky News Business and uh, where the, the panellists were asking for your commentary on the daily market moves and you just refrain <laughs> yeah. and you refra- you obviously for so many years refrain from saying look I just couldn't give a shit really but you had to uh, you, ha- <laughs> you, had to, you had to give your two bob to I guess keep yourself on the show but uh, oh that's it oh, look, I, there's two things I mean there's, 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 one is what happened today I'm okay with that and so you know it's generally speaking you know at the end of the day you can see what changed so you, you can have a reasonable guess as to what happened um if you asked me that at the beginning of the day you know i used to get every now and again invited on it you know quarter to 10 before the market opened hey what's going to happen today what how are you expecting the market's going to open and again i'm just i'm just incredibly incredibly lucky to work for a company like the motley fool and we're not the only one of these companies but there's not many of us where i literally get to say i have no idea everybody <laughs> else who's employed by a company who's got to go on tv and spruik their business they get paid to sell certainty, right? So they get paid to say, well, I think the market will be up, you know, 34 points today, or it'll be up, you know, 100 points by Christmas or whatever they have to say. 
I literally had the luxury. So yesterday I got a, a, a message from the Fairfax uh, Press. I, I write for them occasionally, as I mentioned. And uh, the, the investment editor there, great guy, he said, look, do you want to take part of the next shares race? They have a, a four-weekly competition to see who can pick 10 shares and who wins. And I said to him, I said, I, don't, I thank you for the invitation and, and I love being part of what you guys are doing, but I have to decline because I just don't know. There, there, was no, there was no value in me taking part because it would be luck if I was right or wrong. And not only that, I would, I would do our, our members and my readers a disservice by people thinking that somehow by participating, I, I knew what I was doing. Now, it, almost everybody else offered that opportunity would jump at it with two feet and say, well, of course I'll be in there because I get my mug in the paper and I get to, you know, uh, I get to try and win. And if I do get lucky enough to win, then I'm going to say I'm a genius. And if I lose, I'll, I'll hope that goes to the bottom of the pile. And I'll try again in a month's time. Um, I just literally, I get to say, as a, as a you know, from a business perspective, from a personal perspective, the truth is I just don't know and I would be just tossing a coin. I'm not offering anyone any value by doing it. So I'll respectfully decline. And, and again, to, the, to his credit, he said, look, I get it. Cool, no worries. Um, let's just keep doing what we're doing, which is great of them because, you know, they, they need to fill pages as well. But it's just that, that you know, understanding that, hey, I don't know. <laughs> and, so, and so that's, I get to say that and I get to be honest about it, which is a really nice place to be. Yeah. And look, unfortunately, I was the guy that was watching the business channels and trying to collate, <laughs> collate all the recommendations from each panelist, right. trying to think about what the market was going to do that night and done my ass, which we, which we will get into later on in the episode when we start talking all about right. leverage trading. Now, oh, no. before we, uh, before we get into the, I guess the what to do um, and how to approach this stock market, Scott. Now, coming from a mining background and people, a lot of the listeners will be working in the mining industry. The thing I've noticed, and you would completely agree with me here, people that work in the mining industry want to buy mining stocks, especially the speculative ones. And they, they think that's the only, they think, they're working in that industry. They understand that better, and right, that's that's yep. what I'm targeting, mate. Can you give us some of the, I guess, your negatives and your dangers of buying, and I guess the complete waste of time it can be, of buying speculative <laughs> speculative mining stocks. Look, uh, yeah, and this is really this is hard. You know, I, I don't want I don't want to be I don't want to be you know raining on people's parades or the, or the companies they invest in or the companies they work for. So the first thing I will say, and this is not just me, you know, uh, peeing in your pocket, but you know, the, the, the blokes and girls who work in mining are doing a spectacular job. They are really really important for our economy. I'm glad there are miners and mining companies out there um, because, frankly, our economy would be much much weaker were we not sending plenty of you know raw material around the world and using it in our own manufacturing. So that's as an industry, super super important. The difference I think most people misunderstand is that a great industry, a great you know kind of commodity, even even a great trade, um, as in as in commodity trades, not literally share trades, um, don't always make great businesses. So here's here's the example I like to pull out. If you'd have told someone in nine or told me in 1979, so go back, let's go back 40 years. If you'd have shown me the graph with the absolute complete explosion of air travel, like I, I, by tens and tens and tens of times, like this is a quantum shift in, in air travel, right? Between 79 and today. If you said, guess what? There are going to be a thousand fold increase in the number of people flying in a plane in a given year. I would have gone out there and I would have loaded up on airline stocks because why wouldn't you, right? It's obvious more people flying, more airlines, more seats filled, more money for airlines, and you would have made an enormous loss like a stone cold motherless enormous loss investing in airline stocks over 40 years. The whole industry has not made a buck in four decades. Now, individual companies from time to time, individual airlines from time to time, uh, even the whole industry every now and again, it's been an absolute cluster for 40 years. 
And that's the difference between a great industry or an industry even with massive up, 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 you know, um, upswings and, and massive tailwinds, all that kind of great, all those great jargon. Yeah, yeah, nice, Businesses, nice, but yeah. nice getting that one in there, Scott. I like that. <laughs> right. You know, so, you, and that's and that's all the you know. That, so, so you think about mining, right? So, you know, and, and so and back to airlines for a second. The difference was extra demand was wonderful, but guess what? Extra supply turned up at the same time and kept prices down. Now, if you're in a commodity industry, and frankly. While, you're, while, while the mining companies will try and tell you how wonderful their ore is or their gold is or their zinc is, we all know that, you know, there's grades, of course, but, you know, the same grade of iron ore out of Australia is the same out of Fortescue, Briel, BHP. It's the same out of Vale, same out of somewhere else, anywhere else in the world. The, the reality is that the more demand there is, the more supply comes online. The more supply comes online, the lower the price stays. And so even if China's demand is going to grow massively over the next 20 years, and it probably will, if enough supply comes on stream, the price could even be lower in 20 years than it is today, despite that enormous upswing in, in demand. So you've got a company that, again, does great things, sends great products, great for our export balance, but really, really crappy for shareholders' pockets. And that's been, I'm not saying that's looking forward, by the way, that's been the reality over the last you know, 40, 50 years. Mining stocks really struggle to make a quid because it's a commodity product and anyone can make it. As soon as, my, as, soon as prices get too high, it simply incentivizes people to go and dig new mines because why wouldn't you? If you can, you know, if you can mine iron ore at fifteen bucks a ton and sell it for fifty, well, who's not going to go and dig a new mine? And if you can do it profitably, then you're going to keep doing it. What happens? The price falls. So that's that's the first thing about mining generally. And then to your point about speculation, what's really important there is that it's so tempting to see plenty. Australia, we, <laughs> I was going to say Australians are mugs. We kind of are. We'll bet on anything, right? Like we love a punt. The two flies up the wall, the, you know, it, it's a game, game of whatever. We, we will punt on anything, which is, which is a wonderful part of our national character. The problem is that if you're a mining uh, company and you want to make a few dollars, what do you do? You go and print a shiny new prospectus and you tell everyone how wonderful your new find is or your new exploration is or when we find gold in place X, you know, Lasseter's Reef Incorporated, when they, when they find gold in, in X, then we will, you know, make a fortune and look how much money we'll make and you can all be rich too and guess what? The shares are only one cent. And so we all kind of go, oh, one cent, I'll take a punt on that. And that's, again, kind of understandable, except that the average is that these companies on average lose, not only do they lose money profit, profit and loss-wise, they lose shareholders' money. And the history of these specky miners is just absolutely abysmal. They either go out of business or they raise more and more and more money. And every time the company raises money, that means your ownership stake is diluted. So it's, you know, it's the, equivalent, <laughs> the equivalent of saying, hey, look, I own this house. And I'm running out of money to, to, to pay the rates. So I'm going to sell half the house to a mate. Okay, so he puts more money in and now I've got half the house. Then they run out of money again. And the two of you sell two more bits of the house and so now you're only on a quarter of the house um, and so on and so forth until you pretty much diluted to, to almost nothing. While this miner tries to throw more and more and more money, find this elusive and insert, you know, insert commodity X here, um, oil driller, gold miner, zinc miner, you know, whatever it is. Uh, someone's always, I won't say suckers born every minute, but there's plenty of these guys who start companies, take your and my money. If they win, they win. If they lose, well, they'll shake it off and go and do it again. It is just historically, and, and all we can do is use the data. Historically, it's a terrible, terrible investment to try and find a low price miner and expect to make some money doing it. Yeah. And look, oh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can only recall over the last decade, the I guess you spec not they probably weren't or some of them were speculative at the time but your miners that have mm. done those uh, miraculous stories going from five cents to shitloads the only ones I can think of are Northern Star Serious Resources which got taken over by Independence with the Nova project yep. um, 
uh, Sandfire Resources and Fortescue. They're the they're yep. the four I can four I can pick. And and, that, and, and, and I've listened to a listened to a bit of market sort of recommendations and commentary over the years, and there's not many. The only one I hear recommended from actual advisors is usually Northern Star because it's actually it's it's run run as a really good business, not as a mining company. Where the uh, you, you just hear guys like you, yourself and uh, other organisations that provide similar services. You don't you you rarely hear them recommend mining stocks at all. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think if you do, uh, so so if you are interested in mining, so. The, I've never recommended a mining stock to our members. I, I went very, very close with Evolution back in January 16, I want to say, so two and a half years ago now. Um, the, if you do rec- if you want to buy a miner, the, the only time, well, effectively only, I mean, there's this caveats to everything, right? Nothing is absolute, but, but for the sake of our purposes, the only good time to buy a miner is when the marginal cost of production is around the current price of the commodity. And the reality, the reason there is what I talked about before about supply and demand. If you know, if the iron ore price is 100 bucks a ton, just pick two numbers or a number, and it costs 15 bucks to get out of the ground, what do you reckon the odds are that plenty of more supply is being bought on stream as we speak? Pretty bloody high, right? Because if you can make 85 bucks a ton profit, now there's other costs, but let's just keep it simple. Then every every man with a pick and shovel is going to be out there digging a new iron ore mine because they can. What's going to happen? The price is going to fall back. It's going to fall back roughly towards the cost of production because. If there's an extra profit being made, someone's going to add more supply, add more supply, add more supply. They're only going to stop adding supply when the profit margin gets too low. Now that, as an investor, is about the only time you want to be buying mining stocks is if the profit margin is so low that there's relatively small chance of new supply being added in any meaningful way. It doesn't mean you'll make money, but it severely minimizes your chance of losing too much money because as long as you're buying a quality business at that point, there's only so much further the price can fall. It's going to fall. Price go anywhere in the short term, right? But over the medium and long term, the chance of the price being meaningfully lower is just really, really small. And so the, the risk return tends to favor the return side. So if you're going to buy a miner, if, if, I, if you haven't, if I haven't commissioned not to, at least look for a commodity that's trading around the marginal cost of production. So the next miner to come on stream, how much does it cost him to pull a, an ounce or a ton or a barrel out of the ground? When you know that, if the price, the commodity price is roughly close to the marginal cost, the odds are as much in your favor as they can be. Not, not overwhelmingly, by the way, but close enough to win your favor or as much as they're going to be during a mining cycle. So when I looked at Evolution back in January 2016, they had a really low cost. Uh, the, the gold price was coming down. They're mining the Australian dollars, selling in US. That was a pretty compelling combination. Uh, but again, if you're going to do that, you also want to make sure you know when you're going to sell. And that's harder to work out, right? Because you don't know how much further the iron ore price or the gold price or the zinc price or the copper price is going to go. Yep. And look, the best... and. As we said before, those those two cent shares that we speak of, those speculative ones, they're they're two cents for a reason. I guess you to, to, <laughs> exactly. and, and to ask and to ask to hope that stock is going to go from two cents to a dollar, which is a fifty fold return. And and yep. as we said before, we spoke about Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's company, the greatest investor in the world. If you that that's the same as asking his stock price, which is the best company in the world, you'd say, yep. to go from three hundred thousand to. 15 million in a year yeah. and it's just it's just not practical and look look as we said in the the de- the last decade there's four stocks that have really had these prolific returns but oh god i'd hate to count up how many they'd be close you'd think they'd be close to a thousand that have gone completely the other way back to zero so or, exactly. or just gone absolutely a, nowhere 
Yeah, for everyone who thought that, you know, and oil was the price to be, or the oil, the oil sector, I think, I want to say was the single worst or one of the worst performing sectors last year, for example. So, you know, that, that you know, for all talk about oil and China and everything else, it was, you know, um, Iran shortages, everything else, it was still down 10%. Here's the thing about the dollar, the, the, the one cent share price, right? Let's call it two cent share price because it makes my maths easier. Um, two cents go to 10 cents, okay, a five fold return. That seems somehow more likely, right? They go from 20 bucks to 50 bucks. Or 10, 10, 100 bucks, sorry, I should say. I get the, get the maths right. So, yeah, two to 10 feels easy. 20 to 100 sound feels hard, right? The, here's the thing Woolworth shares, if they were selling for 20 bucks a share now, they're a bit higher than that, call it 20. Um, you could simply turn Woolworths into a two cent stock by issuing 1,000 shares, well, 1,000 for one share issuance, they call it, or um, uh, share split. You could literally make Woolworths a two cent stock tomorrow by changing nothing other than the number of shares on issue. For every share you held, I can give you another 999, and all of a sudden you would own a two cent stock. Now, just because I've issued more shares, nothing else has happened. No money's been raised. The company's opened any more supermarkets. There's no more growth in the market. Um, we're all still only one can of baked beans a day. You know, nothing else changes. But Woolies is no more likely to go from two cents to 10 cents than from $20 to $100. Yet our, our monkey brains think, well, two cents is low, and 10 cents is only eight cents more. How hard can that be? And as you rightly point out, that with the with the Berkshire example, it's the same as having to go from three hundred thousand to fifteen million, um, or as I said, from Woolies to go from twenty to one hundred, as it would be from two to ten, just with more shares on issue. So that's one of the biggest mistakes investors make: is don't think about the per share price, think about the value of the company, the likelihood of that value of the total company going up meaningfully. Frankly, unless you know why and, and you can reasonably expect that it will. Hunting just because it might, you might as well go and buy a lotto ticket or put it on black at the at the casino. Yep, yep. And I didn't win lotto last night. I'm still trying, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got to be in it to win it, mate. Right. So everyone's probably hanging on for this lot. When are these two bastards going to bring out the positive news about the share market? <laughs> um, let's. Uh, I guess let's go into look. Let's picture ourselves a novice uh, uh, miner in their early twenties wanting to wanting to get into the stock market here and about uh, and, and trying to resist the resist the temptations of these bloody uh, drunken recommendations of uh, Bitcoin and speculative <laughs> mining stocks. Where yeah. would you Where would you start, mate? And look, just get and also give a bit of a rundown on stocks and but also the concept and availability of etfs as and listed investment companies but more so etfs beauty man that's a that's a big big field so keep me keep me on a short leash here uh <laughs> let's let, let's talk for 45 minutes and, and bore the hell out of everybody including you if you start snoring i'll stop um so he, he, here's the thing people people need to so you've, you've kind of done a great job up front of talking about the the reality of long-term boring returns that all together added up make a squillion bucks i would you could literally, you know, I would swap, if I was 55, I'd swap a million dollars to be 30 years younger in a heartbeat, right? And that, that actually would be a good trade because over that 30 years, I guarantee you I can make more than a million bucks just by letting time do the thing. In other words, if I, if I could, at 55, not 55 yet, but uh, I'm not miles away. If I, at 55, <laughs> if, I could, if, I could, if I could literally give away a million bucks to be 25 again, not for all the, you know, the, yeah, the, the exploits of, of youth, just literally to have 30 more years of compounding. I know for a fact I could make more than that million dollars back given that extra 30 years back. And that's, so look, for most people who are in their early 20s, 
I just please, for the love of God, start. I, I, I can't, I can't say enough without I feel like I'm, I'm lecturing people. But just please, please start doing something. Right? It almost doesn't matter what you do at this age. Quite frankly, as long as you don't, and you mentioned we'll talk about leverage later. Don't take on any leverage. Don't do anything stupid. Don't buy speculative crap. But if you just literally put aside money every week, fortnight, month, quarter, whatever you get paid, whatever you can set aside. And you do nothing other than add to that regularly for the rest of your life. You will, I promise you, retire with a seven-figure plus sum. That's more than a million bucks in the kick, just for doing the right thing by putting a little bit of money aside every, I said every week, month, fortnight, whatever. Um, the compounding, the value of compounding, will just do that work for you. So that's that's the first thing. In terms of shares, then remember that shares are small parts of businesses. They're not tradable, you know, um, lotto tickets. They're not just charts or, or stock prices or tickers on it. Or tickers, the old three-letter ASX codes on the screen. You know, ASX WOW. Well, that's Woolworths, by the way, and it's a supermarket and it has customers and goods and products and stores. And if you start thinking as a, as a business, it really changes the way you think about it. So that two-cent miner you talk about, well, you know, how do you really think they're going to make their money? Well, they're going to they're going to mine uh, copper, right? Are they? Well, how how likely is going to find it? Well, I don't know. Well, how much are they going to sell it for? I don't know. How much can they produce in a year? I don't know. Well, why the hell are you buying the shares? So you've got to start by thinking about these as businesses. I can look at Woolies and say, right, we have 1,200 supermarkets. I know the population is growing at a couple of percent a year. I know food inflation is going to grow at a couple of percent a year on average. They're going to lose a bit of share, take a bit of share from Coles. I can do a pretty good job of understanding that business. Now, there are some that are more and less easy to understand, but that's the broad idea. If you start by thinking about that and thinking about what does the future look like for Woolies or Let's pick another company out of the blue. Let's say Crown Resorts, right? Are more or less people going to go and gamble at a, at a Crown Casino? Or, you know, are more or less people going to use the banking services of Commonwealth Bank or, or take Blackmore's vitamins? Um, they're going to China now. Is that going to work? Is it not? You start to think about the things that actually influence the company and ignore the stock price. The stock price comes later. But first, you think about the business and what it's going to do, how it's going to make its money, and how likely you think it is for that, that money to grow. And that starts you thinking down the right path of, as you say, you know, what are shares? Why do they matter? How do I think about them? That's the broad way to do it. Now, just to jump on ETS for a second, because this is where we take the very individual company level and then magnify it to a total market level. An ETF is an exchange-traded fund. I think you've covered this in a previous podcast. Um, and an ETF allows an investor to have a whole sector or subset or even a total market with one single transaction. So I can put my money down today for 10 or 20 bucks with Comsec, and I can buy an ASX 300 exchange traded fund that will replicate the returns of the entire ASX 300. I don't have to buy all 300 stocks. I don't have to worry about which companies they are or which ones they aren't. I can just literally say, right, with one with one trade, I can get the market average return, less a tiny bit for fees. Buy a Vanguard ETF, by the way, they're a not-for-profit company, so you'll, you'll pay the lowest fees out there or among the lowest fees. You know, they're always gonna work to lower your fees for you. But for most people who are, Unless you, unless you desperately love the, the idea of investing in business, which I do, but if, if you don't, don't go and pick stocks for the hell of it. Don't go and play the lotto version of, of investing and kind of you know try and throw some darts at, at dartboards. Just buy yourself an exchange traded fund, buy yourself an ETF, get the market average return. It's about 10% a year. Last year, it was about 11%. It's about 10% a year on average. If you do that for the longest time, you'll double your money every seven years. And so here's a really quick bit of maths, right? When you say double your money, it doesn't go from one to two to three to four. It goes from one to two to four to eight to 16 and so on. So every buck you invest now, if that doubles three times, well, that's now eight bucks. It doubles four times at 16 bucks. For someone who's now, say, I'm going to make it easy for myself. So they're 23. By the time they're 65, that's 42 years. 
that's doubling six times, right? So that's one to two to four to eight to 16 to 32 bucks or 32,000 if you put a thousand away or 320 grand if you put 10 grand away. If you can save over time $100,000 over, I don't know, 10 years, that's well more than 2 million bucks, probably close to 3 million bucks by the time you compound that. And that's the that's the value of putting money away regularly, letting time do the work. Yep. No, awesome. And it's, yeah, there's just so much. It's As you said, it's just starting and it's just getting that start. And But it's when you yeah. start, don't do what Matt Michael did and bloody just chew it away on leverage trading and lose all this money because oh, hey, all the money I've got to make back. Whereas if I just did what my uh, mate did that uh, just aim for a five or ten percent return every year and he's uh he's probably he's probably just sitting there he, he was and he was when i was doing it sitting there absolutely laughing at it and it's just look even and i covered it in the ones even if you're not doing not looking to stock market even just salary sacrificing super like when you're oh, young absolutely. just the, as you said because that getting that principal base as high as you can when you're young is yep. just worth an absolute motto motto when you're older so look when you if you are if you, I guess, more want to be a bit more involved, and you're not looking to buy the, buy the ETF, that just yep. to cover it and leave it alone, you are looking at, to pick individual stocks. What, what do you sort of recommend? Because as you said, look, even yourself, you've um, even though you've picked your 10, 10 baggers that have multiplied bloody prolifically, there is a chance yep. you can buy an absolute dog stock that can go down 80 percent as well so here what sort of portfolio sizes are you looking in terms of number of stocks if you are buying individual companies yeah that's a cracking question mate so look here's the thing you want to you want to buy enough companies that individual company movements won't either wreck your confidence or wreck your portfolio and frankly when you're starting the confidence is far far more important right for everyone who starts every tip excuse me every 10 people who start there'll be a few who give up who'd have a couple of bad results and just say, oh, it looks too hard for me. Even if, they, and they can't know this, even if by keeping going, they may well have done really, really, really well. If I'd have given up after my first, you know, crappy investment, I wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be talking, I wouldn't be, you know, it just you just don't get that opportunity. So you want to get to about 12 to 15 companies as quickly as you possibly can, is the very first thing to do. So get as you, you, you said to get started, get the habit, right? The habit is so important. And build yourself a diversified portfolio so that no one single company is going to destroy your portfolio. Now, this means one single company can't, can't you know, give you a 10-bagger return overnight, and that's completely okay too. Um, but you want to make sure, if you if you were to buy, oh, let's pick one. Um, so Costa Group, right? People won't necessarily know the name, but they're a, they're a fruit grower. They do berries and tomatoes and mushrooms and all sorts of stuff. Their shares fell about 30% recently because of a, a bad crop. Now, if I'd have started my portfolio, I said, I'm going to buy Costa first, then I'm going to buy... Uh, Afterpay, to pick another name that's in the news. If I had bought Costa and said, oh, I lost 30%, that's it, this investing thing's crap, I'm gonna go and buy a property, I'm gonna give up, I'm gonna go and drink the money, whatever I'm gonna do with it, I'd never quite get around to buying Afterpay. And Afterpay is up like 10, 20 fold over the last few years. So, you know, the, the, the cost of missing out up front or of being dissuaded up front can be really, really big. So buy 12 to 15 companies, every time you get enough money to go and make a trade, and at Comsec, and again, I'm not affiliated with Comsec, but if you buy less than a thousand bucks worth of shares, you're only paying 10 bucks in brokerage. So if you can cobble together 500, 700, 900 bucks, go and spend 10 bucks and buy your first lot of shares. Next time you've got another five or 700 bucks, go and buy the second lot of shares and the third lot of shares. You'll end up with a, with a portfolio with not individually worth a whole heap, but hopefully over time, you'll end up with a decent portfolio where you start to see the way the market moves. Some go up, some go down. 
So when the market's running hot, some are flying. When the market's running cold, some are doing terribly. Some in between. Um, by, and by a mix, by, by a mix of different companies and different industries doing different things, buy some high growth tech stuff, buy some boring banks, buy a, a supermarket retailer, buy a travel retailer, um, buy a vitamin company or a wine company, you know, get, not, not, not really nearly necessarily, but it really doesn't matter. The first couple of years of investing, it really, really, I promise you, doesn't matter what you buy, which sounds strange from a guy who does stock picking for a living, but it's far, far more important that you get the habit of investing and you start to learn kind of... You know, you know, there's the other thing about, you know, if you, you only really learn by teaching, you can't necessarily all be teachers, but you can have all the book knowledge in the world about investing, right? And it just doesn't matter as Zach until you actually get out there and do it. When you start to feel the pain of a loss, when you see the joy of a gain, when you see shares move around, you start to follow companies, you get more of a sense of what they do and how they make money. There is just no substitute for experience. It's one of those horrible cliches, but guess what? They're called cliches because they're, they're real, they're true. That's why they become cliches. Um, so get out there, build a portfolio as quickly as you can, get to 12 or 15 companies, and then you can start to shape it from there on. The reality is going to be that the first dozen companies you buy are going to be worth not much in the overall scheme of things. If you retire with a few million bucks in the, in the back pocket, whether what you spend 500 bucks on today is just not going to matter as much as getting the process going. Yeah, and look, just, and another one is that the whole selling principle. Now, just from your your portfolio you don't have to hand over your portfolio we're not the ATR or anything but um look are you are you of the mentality hold like buy hold never sell unless unless like ex, like exceptional circumstances I'm sure do prevail but as you, as I think you, you hear people say all the time the only time you make a loss is when you sell yeah I look I I'm probably somewhere in between there. My, my, my personal line is be slow to buy, but even slower to sell. The, the reality is that if you've, if you've done the right work in the research up front, so if I've, done, if I've done the work properly and I've bought companies that I think are high quality businesses that deserve to be my portfolio, the chance that I am wrong is not zero. And the chance they go down is, is, is a lot, right? There's a, there's a decent minority chance that I lose money on some of these stocks. We talked about that before. But if I've, if I've chosen well, if my process works, then the last thing you want to do is, is sell willy-nilly just because you want to kind of move on to something else. Now, there are good reasons to sell. If you made a straight out, I've, I've made mistakes in my own portfolio and for our members where I've just gone, you know what? I completely screwed up that, that analysis. There's one particular company, uh, Collection House is the name of the business for, for disclosure. Um, we, we recommended it for our members. And then frankly, some circumstances unfolded. I went, oh, bugger. I really, really misunderstood the way, the, the, the business model of that business. Like I knew what it did and how it did it. But I didn't really understand the pressures, the kind of the push and pull factors on its business. And so when that, that came home, I was like, okay, oh, we're out. This was, it was a bad idea. We bad, recommended it badly. Time to go. Now, that cost our members probably 20, 30%, something like that. On the flip side, we recommended Domino's Pizza back in the day at $6. I sold it at 13 thinking I was an absolute genius because uh, I've doubled our members' money. So, hey, it's almost the reverse, right? You've, you can't go broke taking a profit, they say. Well, yeah. The shares went from 13 then to 70 bucks. Oh, no. So I literally, I literally dusted 90% of the potential gain because I was too clever and selling out at the right time because I thought, oh, sales growth is getting a little bit slow. Maybe it might go terribly. I better sell. Now, if I'd have never sold anything that we recommended, we would be much, much better off just, just from Domino's alone, quite frankly. That one, that one bad sell, if I'd, have, if I'd have not sold anything, including Domino's, our members would be much, much better off. So generally, that's what I mean about it. If I get the analysis roughly right, Selling, sell, particularly on valuation grounds or kind of small-term, short-term business worries, is just a really, really silly thing to do. So yeah, look, buy. buy I call it buy to hold. 
People mock. So there's the term buy and hold, right? Which is the kind of traditional one. Because oh, you shouldn't buy and hold everything. That's just stupid. You never, you know, it means you're you're not paying attention. You're never going to sell. I think that's that's a mischaracterization by people who are trying, to, frankly, trying to make trouble, make mischief because they can, because they make money by making people sell, and they paint us as Pollyannas who never sell, and so we're somehow irresponsible. And that that sticks with some people. So I've changed that a little bit to say we're buy to hold. We buy with the intention of holding, and I wouldn't say never selling, but hopefully never selling. Um, we will sell if we have to, we need to. If we just get something straight out wrong, we'd be stupid to hold it. But generally speaking, yeah, you're dead right. The, the the money is made in the holding, not even in necessarily the buying or the selling, quite frankly. If you are right often enough, then the longer you hold, the more that money compounds and the more money you're likely to make. And it's, I guess when, say you got a $10 stock or, or just yeah. any stock, you can you can only lose 100% of that stock. It can't go past zero unless you're, unless you're stupidly leveraged. But like you just, you can only lose 100%. Yep. But the gains are unlimited. You could, as you said, Domino's Pizza went from bloody $13 oh, to 70 with like a, se- a seven, <laughs> a 700% return, whereas yep. you only lost 30% on your other bad pick. Like it's, it's correct, as correct. you said, hold, holding is, it gives you the chance to get those big 10, 10 baggers like your afterpays and, and everything like that. Now, just in terms of the market volatility and more so the, we talk about, the mentality to try and I guess you got to practice over the years with investing and maintain yep. that that boring approach and not looking at the <laughs> short term short term yep. volatility. Now I know you I know you love this phrase. I think you actually came up with it. Dollar cost averaging, Scott. We, we, we've got to get you've got to come up with a quirky Motley Fool uh, version of that, mate. Now oh, I've got to come up with something that's a terrible, <laughs> terrible term. Now what what let I guess go into dollar cost averaging, but it's more looking at more going to back what you were saying before about look just people starting to get into it save up that thousand two thousand bucks when you got it buy some shares but don't i guess looking at trying to get away from that trying to pick the market and buy low and sell high and all that crap just go into dollar cost averaging over the long term for us yeah sure mate i mean again i've been around for more than a few years and i i would say the gray hairs are tested that much i know here so that's even worse (laughs) um the the if you look at the times when people felt best about investing, if you, if you were to take a straw poll of, inve- of, of you know, investors or market participants over the last 20 years, and you said to me, when are the two times people felt best about investing? They were in 1999 and 2007. Now, you don't need to be a student of history to know what followed both of those times. Um, Warren Buffett says you pay a high price in the stock market for a cheery consensus. What he basically means is when everyone's feeling great, guess what? A, that's probably when prices are at their highest. And B, that's when their risk is at their at its highest because everyone's kind of you know taken leave of their senses. When no one's worried, you really should be worried. On the flip side, when was everyone most despondent about buying? Well, in two thousand and nine, after the GFC, in two thousand after the dot com bust, people swore off shares. I knew this bloody share investing was a bad idea. I never should have done it in the first place. That's it. I'm leaving. I'm going back to property. Well, guess what? In the last twenty years, when was the best time to invest? In two thousand and in two thousand and nine. It's, it's, no, it's no coincidence that the, the patient investor is offered the best prices when everyone else is panicking. And you're, you're offered the worst prices when everyone else is super excited. Now, if you've got a Warren Buffett-like temperament, that's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity because you get to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my powder dry here. I'm going to wait until the, the, the time's right. I'm going to go on. I'm going to pounce in 2009. I'm going to pounce in, in 2000. Whenever the next recession comes, I'll pounce then. Now, that would be perfect if we're all that temperamentally aware, that smart, that capable, frankly, if we were gutsy enough and and disciplined enough to follow through, but most of us aren't. 
the 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 antidote to that is i mean if you can train yourself to be have a better temperament then by all means do that for the rest of us dollar cost averaging basically just means invest regularly it's it's that simple it's not as exciting and you kind of need a, need a term for it i've got to come up with one um if you just put your let's say you're saving a thousand bucks a week just just a thousand bucks a week, hundred bucks a week sorry that's about to be nice hundred bucks a week just to pick a number you, you take your hundred bucks a week out of your pay packet and you put it in an investment account or you tell her you sacrifice it to your super as you say that money then just gets invested regularly every time you get say a thousand bucks out of hundred bucks a week hundred bucks hundred bucks hundred bucks after 10 weeks go and buy something just because when you get to a thousand bucks just buy something and then next time another 10 weeks buy something else another 10 weeks buy something else when you look back in hindsight you will have spent one of those thousand dollar amounts at the very very peak of the market almost by definition and if you look back far enough you will have invested another thousand dollars of that at the very lowest point of the market almost by definition and in the meantime you will have averaged dollar cost averaged your investment right through that period it's just a fancy way of saying you'll never pick the highs you'll never pick the lows you'll go mad trying so don't bother make it automated one of the great challenges for investors we talked about monkey brain a couple of times there's a whole field of psychology called behavioral finance and it tells us that we just are really 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 crap at making good decisions because our brains aren't suited for it so what do you do the very best solution to any of that stuff is what the the behavioral psychologists call pre-commitment devices what you and i know is just automation if you can get 100 bucks taken out of your paycheck every week or every fortnight without you seeing it you say a payroll if you've got if you if your payoffs will do this so hey can you take my pay put 100 bucks over in this account and put the rest in the other account that means you don't have to decide you don't have to remember you don't have to be disciplined enough oh, i could put the 100 bucks in the investing account but i really need the new pair of jeans or i've got to fix the car or that new game was looking pretty good or you know what i'd love a new phone or whatever excuse you give yourself not this time because dot 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 pre-commitment automation call it what you want that takes the money out before you even get to it or if you have to go to your bank and say right i'm going to schedule a direct direct withdrawal every day i know i get paid on every second thursday so every second friday i'm going to put an automatic withdrawal in take the money out of that account i'll put it in the in the investment account and so well that's not exactly in itself dollar cost averaging it's the same kind of idea investing regularly in whatever your best idea is or straight on an etf every time you've got enough cash that is all you need to do and that takes all the stress and hassle out of it yeah you'll buy some shares at the very top of the market you'll buy some at the very bottom of the market now for what it's worth as i wrap this one up matt the the, the one of our services that i run is called share advisor right and that's that's beating the market just just to put it out there for the sake of um just so people know i know what i'm talking about not, not to brag just to you know um, give me some credibility we've recommended a stock an asx stock every single month without fail since december 2011 that's what we do that our entire model is every month stock you know in fourth thursday of the month stock one next the fourth thursday next month another stock fourth thursday another month next stock and if i look through i can actually see my scorecard and this is not a visual medium so i won't bother trying to read them to you um, i can see when the markets have been great and been terrible and and what the you know what the uh, what the markets are. i can show you my, my my oldest ongoing recommendation the market's up 106 percent since august 2012. I can see that you know another pick another one the marks are 50 percent since august since december 2015. now i didn't know the market was going to be up 100 percent in in 2012 i didn't know the market was going to be about 50 percent since 2015. what i did is i just put money on the table every month month in month out regardless of what was going on and picked a stock and sometimes that's a great top price and great time sometimes it's terrible but you know what if you can't time the market stop trying and no one can by the way stop trying and just buy regularly and let time do the work yeah, and and it's getting in that habit or getting in the habit of not 
looking at the telly and saying, look, look if you've got this money, <laughs> yeah, looking at this exactly. money, looking at this money to buy a stock, and it's just like oh, I couldn't give a bloody toot what what the market's doing today who cares just yep. uh, i guess yep. if you're going to take anything out of this listen to what scott says like no one can pick the market if the market's at all-time highs you're like oh i'm going to buy stocks when it goes down a bit get battle for better value for money look if it's going up it's probably going to keep going up you just you just never know just when you got your money just buy your bloody stocks it's it's as you said just keep it simple automated and robotically boring yep. and unfortunately you can't extrapolate yeah yep. take take that aussie that aussie randwick race seven out of all of us and, uh, <laughs> just uh yeah it's that it's that punting nature that some of us have had a bit yep. of a challenge to overcome now look i've left the um now the final bit i want to talk about is the uh leverage trade and i've left this right at the end because hopefully my mother's tuned out by now and she's not going to listen to my <laughs> personal story and look he's, look, he's come good mum. he's come good oh mate and the the best yeah look i'll, I'll give my unfortunate dealings with this and then we call them now the the three letters you got to avoid in uh the stock market and now this isn't a stock code this is a product it's cfd and my mate my mate my mate my smart uh smart boring investor mate that has now got a lot more money in me summed it up perfectly said their contracts for dickheads is the best (laughs) i love that best way to that before that's brilliant oh but and look my and what you said earlier is just exactly what happened to me he says the worst thing that can happen <laughs> is that you're right at the start and that's it mate like, and i got involved in these cfds which essentially allowed me to have a thousand dollars and borrow a million dollars worth of stocks and ah. um and look i i, I think i made i made fifty thousand dollars in three days and just oh, and, I, and I literally didn't even know how I did it, and it was just out of. The, <laughs> and then I thought I could just keep doing it and doing it. And I ended up actually oh, borrowing money to put into it, and then lost that as well. And look, this this went on, and I've only just um, sort of got myself to the stage where I realised, look, I had a, it, it's a it's a it was a gambling addiction. It wasn't, and I, I had that problem where it's yeah. like, oh, I'm smart enough to beat the market, and I'll um. Yeah, no. Oh, this is the this is the vessel that's going to take me there, um, and I know you're a massive advocate uh, against the whole leverage trading side. Look, just give us your give us your spiel, mate. And as you said, if you're going to be the chairman of ASIC, this is the one thing you'll change. <laughs> Mate, look, I, you know, I, I can't do much better than you've done because you've you've given people, your listeners, the the, the, the honest, you know, unvarnished truth. That and, and listeners, Matt's example is exactly why these mobs stay in business. It's it's a it's that they are the bookie, right? They they a CFD provider contracts for difference or dickheads. I love that. Now I'm going to use that. <laughs> can you, can, you I, can I steal that, that on the, right? Chuck that on the Motley Fool money, mate. If you can, I'd love that. Mate, I will. That, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> I, I'll 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 use that. Um, but so here's the thing, right? The, the people who provide these are bookies. If you know, you said before, and, and we talked last week, as our listeners know, and I gave this example. If I was in charge of of ASIC tomorrow, I would absolutely outright ban. The use of CFDs, I outright ban the use of most options of shorting the whole lot. If the markets are designed right for you and I to exchange an ownership interest in a company, so if you're an entrepreneur, you've come up with this great new company and you need some more money to grow it, that's what the markets are for. If you are someone who's built this wonderful company, you just want to get out, you find, find someone to sell it to, that's what the markets are for. The markets are not to allow, not designed to allow you and I, me to go black, you to go red, and one of us to lose our money. It is just absolute stupidity. And so the ASIC should never allow this. ASIC, the, the regulator should never allow it. it. And frankly, you know, ASIC are the same as everybody else around the world. So they're not exactly on their Pat Malone. But when, when, when the, you know, 
they make it sophisticated, right? So if, if someone said to you, hey, tell you what, go and get 10 grand, I'll lend you another 90, go down the TAB, see how you go. Now, you are not, you're smart enough, I'm smart enough to go, no, 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 that sounds like a stupid idea, right? When someone says to you, hey, you know what we'll do? You bring your 10, I'll lend you 90, and we'll go to the ASX, and you can invest really cleverly and make a lot of money. And this is investing. This is this has got a great reputation, right? There are smart people in glass offices in Perth and Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and Adelaide and everywhere else. And they've got their shiny suits and their smart looking briefcases and they're telling you how it can be done. And well, you wouldn't have a product like this if it wasn't allowed, right? And it's an investment product. So I'm, I'm doing something okay. It's legitimate. And it's absolute and total bullshit. Excuse the, the French. Um, it is just absolute crap. They are taking you for a ride, taking me for a ride. All they're trying to do is convince you, as you said yourself, to say, hey, I know what I'm doing. I can do this. Guess what? The other bloke on the other side of the trade, they're saying to that guy, hey, 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 you're smart. You can do this. You have a go too. You can't both, by definition, make money. And what's worse is the house takes a cut. So even if you put up your 10, he puts up his 10, at best, one of you is going to win 18. The other one's going to go with nothing. And the house gets the two bucks. And they do it again. The guy who once only got 18 bucks rather than the 20 they started with, the more this happens, the more money the house makes. And the house in this case is the CFD provider. They should call it the CFD bookie if it was up to me. Um, the, these guys, their, their entire job is to separate you from your cash. At least when you're buying shares, it's not a zero sum game. You might sell CBA, I might buy it. Maybe if CBA goes up, you don't, you don't make any money. You don't lose any money if you're wrong about CBA. You just don't make the money I made. It's not a zero sum game. When it comes to CFDs, you go black, I go red, the house takes its cut. It is absolutely, is disastrous. It's terrible for the investor. It's terrible for the investment community. It shouldn't be allowed, quite frankly, if it was up to me. I'd ban it absolutely outright. If you, you know, Warren Buffett again, we'll quote him again. He says, the only way a smart guy can go broke is using leverage. It just is not necessary. It's not worth it. You don't need to. You're, you're, you're a young bloke. Your listeners are young guys and girls. You have 40 years ahead of you. I, I I tell you now, you just simply, as long as you save regularly and buy quality or just buy an ETF, you will not need a cent of leverage. Leverage, yeah, it magnifies your, your, your gains. Guess what? As you know, mate, it magnifies your losses. It's just unnecessary risk. It's just, it's, it's taking something that can be great and just completely perverting it. I think it's a terrible, terrible thing for investors. Yeah, and the look, the overall danger of it, and look, the draw card that gets people in is like you can turn this ten grand into thirty like overnight because you you so right, leverage. Right. But the other way, if you if the market or just even just the specific stock you own goes down twenty yep. percent overnight, that ten grand you have, you lose that, and you ended up with a bill for another ten thousand that you owe the like <laughs> money money that you don't have, and that's <clears throat> that's where I fall into trouble. That's where so many people fall into trouble, and. Look, it's just, I just cannot stress enough and I hope there's one thing that people take out and that's why you, you've just got to, and look, it's advertised, unfortunately, when you go set up a share trading account, you're going to see them trying to, see brokers trying to plug their CFD accounts to oh, you to get in on it. Mate. Just don't even, just don't even fucking look at it. Just, it just doesn't exist and just, yep. uh. Just please take that out from uh, and look. I'm not. Uh, I'm not just uh, spruiking for the sake of it. This is. I guess it's a personal experiences that um, nearly put me in a very dark hole. And there, I'm sure there's shitloads of other stories out there very similar. And you've heard them, heard them yourself. Um, yeah, just can't can't stress that enough. And it's I, awful. It's awful. Yeah, I'll put I'll put this disclaimer at the start. Let's <laughs> go to straight to an hour <laughs> and ten and just get that message before you bloody leave the episode. Yep. Yeah. Mate, the best thing your listeners can do is remember that anything, any of this stuff, anything with options, any CFDs, anything else, it is, write, scrub the words out and write gamble, write gamble next to it. 
you wouldn't take 10 grand at the track. You wouldn't take 10 grand at the casino. You wouldn't take 10 grand and put it on online, hopefully, on online betting place. Don't do it on the market just because it seems legitimate and somehow serious and important and somehow, you know, credible. And no, it's not gambling, it's investing. Absolute bullshit. It is gambling, pure and simple. If you wouldn't spend 10 grand at the track, don't spend 10 grand on CFDs. Yeah, and you know, the funniest thing when I actually come to the finally got to the good place of saying look i've got to shut all these accounts down i'm I'm in the process of ruining my life and my relationships uh the the cfd provider emailed me said um can we just ask why you're shutting your counter down is there anything to do and it's just like can't you 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 literally look at what are my loss not a profit it's not a profit and loss statement where there's no profits and and yeah, right. just there's has to be a bit of a, i guess a bit of social responsibility anyway that's our that's our as you call it a high horse uh session there, <laughs> oh. exactly and and listen listen to matt's story right don't don't listen to me i, I can tell you all the theoretical crap matt Matt's story is is where you will potentially end up if you're not careful and most people will um, I, I don't need you know anything about the hypotheticals, right? That's that's the reality. Matt's done the right thing, and he's he's been pretty vulnerable here and, and, and giving you the the lowdown on how shit it can be. Um, take that story to the bank. Yeah, no, awesome, mate. Look, uh, we oh, as I said, oh, this is a killer effort. This is heaps better than round one. Look, this was fate that you bloody <laughs> ended up buggering up the recording. I think, uh, I think we're just oh, this is just fantastic. This episode, um, mate. And for that, I'm going to give you the opportunity now. Look, I know you hate doing this, and I know it's not what you're about, but um. Just, mate, can you give us a bit of a rundown on the services you provide at Motley Fool? Give yourself a plug. Yeah. Someone's got to do it for you, mate. I know you didn't come on here for it. You've um, been kind enough to help me out. But look, and especially just for, I guess, for someone getting into the market, and I guess it's a, a cost-effective way to get some good advice and, and get a good kickstart on, on where to look for to get into investing in shares. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't like spruiking my own business or our business. It's, it's not, it's not my, not my thing. Um, you know, here's the thing. The reason, the reason, so the reason I joined the Motley Fool is because I had a great experience with the company. So that, that's the first thing, right? It's not me. I took a pay cut. I've said publicly before about a 25 cent pay cut to join the Fool. So it's not something you do if you're uh, if you're trying to make the most money you can from from your salary. Um, I literally wanted to have the opportunity to help some people. The way I've been helped by people at the Fool who who basically give me an education in investing and, and the chance to do that full-time for a quid was something that was too good to pass up. So that that's pr- frankly anything I say, if this is that pales that, you know, if you take a pay out and join a business, you want to join because you like what they do. That's a pretty good sign. Hopefully the, the reality for me is that um, I reckon, you know, think about how much you'd spend on, you know, getting a degree or doing some sort of course or, Frankly, for a big night on a Friday at a pub uh, with a couple of couple of couple of drinks and maybe a meal, um, you know, share advisors the service I run. It costs one hundred and ninety nine bucks for a year. Uh, if you get it on special, we're almost you know still got specials on pretty regularly. I reckon that's a pretty good start. I mean, you'd have to go a decent way to get better value, and you probably if you unless you're really unlucky, you know, I've got plenty of losers as I said to you, so I don't want to. I'm not going to oversell this, right? But if you can't make a couple hundred bucks in profit by following some of the advice we give you in the course of a year, I'd be very surprised. So, you know, and even if you don't, you know, have you really learned nothing, you know, not, not something's not worth a couple hundred bucks, you spend a couple hundred bucks on, on a Netflix subscription over a year or something else. Um, I reckon it's a pretty good start. I, I, I do wonder if there's better value out there. Our job is to hopefully, I, I see my job as two things, half, half stock picking 
and half education. Um, I, I make the joke, I was born in the 1800s or 1700s, I would have been a stump preacher, right? I've got this message and I've, I've banged on about it for long enough on your podcast, mate. You've been kind enough to let me let me go for over an hour um, to, to, to bang on about the stuff I care about. Like, honestly, I mean, I, I do, um, some, people, some of your listeners will see me on sunrise on a Sunday morning. I get up at 4.30 in the morning, I drive for an hour and a half each way to spend three minutes on TV. And yeah, that's good, good for the company. And yeah, that's probably, I don't get paid any extra for it, by the way. Um, I do it because I, I want to try and spread the message of sensible long-term investing. Um, whether you, if you don't join the Motley Fool, that's cool. Go and go to somewhere else. But for the love of God, don't go to a broker's marketing thing. Don't do CFDs. Don't go to someone who's promising you a black box, get rich quick. Um, I'm on TV. I do this podcast, our own podcast, to try and say to people for free, hey, there is a different way you can invest and think about your finances. Um, and so that, that's kind of what we try and do. We try and pick stocks, of course. That, that's that's the, the bread and butter. If I don't pick stocks and I don't do a good job doing that, then you're right to ignore me. Um, so I've got to put my my, you know, my mouth on the line and say, right, here's, here's what I think and here's what I do. Now that's done pretty well for us so far. We're, we're beating the market over seven plus years. Um, but as even if you do nothing but buy ETFs, if the message is, you know, go and do that, that's what I want people to get out of this is be long-term business-focused investors Focus on the long term, ignore the volatility, ignore the, the hype and the excitement. Just keep doing it regularly. That's what I do. Um, that's what we do in our services. As I said, I, I run I run, a, I run the services the way I would want if I was a member of the service. That, that's that's the, the most honest and kind of upfront way I can do it. If I do that, if, I, if I'd be happy for my mother or mother-in-law to be a member of my services, um, then I think we've done a decent job and I, I feel pretty good about that at the moment. So for what it's worth, a couple hundred bucks. Uh, for what it's worth, two hundred. This is not a this is not a pitch, but Share Advisor in particular has a thirty day money back guarantee. So you can effectively try it for thirty days. If you don't like it on day twenty nine, flick us an email. We'll send you all your money back, and you can go on your merry way. So again, if that's worth anything to anybody, it's not uh, it's not supposed to be a sales. Uh, I guess it helps sales, right? Because maybe it makes more people sign up. But um, it, it's kind of a relatively risk free. I mean, I can't promise you won't lose money on stock tick all that kind of stuff. But in terms of your membership fee, join us for join us for for twelve months. If you don't like it in the first month, let us know. We'll give you your cash back. It's a pretty a pretty good deal, I reckon. And I, I'm pretty sure that if you use the service the way it's intended, I, I think you'll find some good value out of it. Yeah, and and look, I've seen I was a member of Share Advisor, but I did use it the wrong way with CFDs, unfortunately. But look, the the, <laughs> pro, the proof's in the spoon. And when Scott says they they beat the market, they they've got a scorecard there that shows the um, shows the long term return of the all lords and and compared to the return of every stock they've um, recommended and it, and it does outperform the market and look as you said there there is the options of um, buying the your Vanguard and uh, VAS and VGS Australian and international ETFs that you'll get that sort of you'll get that market return but look if you're looking to buy more specific stocks and uh, maybe outperform that by uh, 10% or, or whatever percentage it does get outperformed and you're looking to buy individual stocks i'll just yeah as as you said look i think share advisors a a great place to start for that um buy and buy and hold sort of theory and and as you said like these and look you've even recommended the nasdaq 100 etf the yeah, N- yeah, yeah, ndq yeah. so look even etfs are recommended within the share advisor and look i just think yeah it's a great place to start and it just as you said, for a couple under, but look, I'm, I'm not, buddy. I, I was a member myself, and look, just for the the value you get for, as you said, the education, the the email correspondence, and the 
Um, look, and it's just good. It's in that bloody quirky Motley Fool way, and it's um, yeah, it's just uh, yeah. Oh, I got a lot out of it. I think it's just great. So look, Scott, we'll we'll wrap it up, mate. But it'd be rude if I didn't. Uh, we had a, the stock guru on here, and we didn't get a couple of tips off you that you won't be. Um, ah, we won't. We won't hold you to litigation if they go down in the <laughs> in the next week, mate. What have you? You got anything that's not a bad buy at the moment? You'd willing to recommend? Yeah. I'll throw. I'll throw a few things out, mate. You've done the done the honour of spending an hour and a bit with me, so at least I can do is for you and your listeners give you something. Um, so, look, you mentioned it already. One of the one of the great things I reckon that you should do as an investor is buy units in the Nasdaq ETF. So NDQ is the code on the ASX. It is it gives you exposure to the companies in the Nasdaq 100. So the, the biggest hundred companies, roughly, on the Nasdaq. Um, these are the companies that are. You know, it sounds like a marketing pitch or a sales pitch. It's not supposed to be, but these are the companies that are genuinely inventing the future. Like if you think about, take, go back ten years, right? Uh, and maybe it wasn't exactly ten years, but think about a, a time pre Facebook, pre Twitter, pre Amazon, pre you know Apple being big with the iPhone. Um, you know, choose your, and there's a whole lot of other companies you haven't heard of that that manufacture the products that kind of build the the IT revolution, the Cisco systems of the world. And um, think about pre-Netflix. Um, most of those companies are listed on the Nasdaq. These are the tech giants. And if you think, you know, think about the last ten years, think about the next ten years. The things that are going to change our life are probably not going to come from Woolies. They're probably not going to come from BHP, and they're probably not going to come from Commonwealth Bank. Um, they are going to be the products and services that kind of power the, the kind of information economy. Again, hopeless jargon, but I, I want to try and paint that picture. So NASDAQ ETF, NDQ, um, I reckon it's it's a it's a it's a almost a must own. On the ASX, you can't get access to most of those companies directly. You can't buy Facebook, you can't buy Apple or Google or Amazon. And for full disclosure, I own shares in Apple, uh, sorry, in Amazon and in um, in Google. I also own shares in Berkshire Hathaway we've talked about today. So I want to put that on the record. Um, NASDAQ ETF, great way to get access to some of those companies and add some international flavor to your portfolio or we'll start with some international flavor on your portfolio. Um, another one I'll throw at you is uh, in the realm of boring but really impressive is a company called Washington H. Sol Pattinson. If that sounds vaguely familiar, the code is SOL, by the way. If that sounds vaguely familiar, um, that's because the uh, company used to own the Solpats chemists. They no, no longer do. They're now an investment conglomerate, investment listed investment company. We kind of referenced that a little bit earlier on. Um, Solpats is run by the fourth generation of the of the founding family, the Milner family. They have beaten the market, and I don't know the exact numbers at the moment, but it was over three, five, 10, and 15 years. Um, so that's a pretty good long-term track record of market outperformance. They, um, again, all, almost all the family's money is invested through that company. So you're getting the long-term family ownership, you're getting long-term uh, family shareholding. And they're pretty good investors as well, as I said, because of those numbers. That gives you, a more, again, a bit more diversification. They own shares in everything from TPG Telecom to uh, the company that owns Priceline stores, uh, New Hope Coal, <coughs> excuse me for the coal miners out there. Um, Solpats is a really well-run conservative investment conglomerate. Add that to NASDAQ, the NDQ ETF. They're both really good buyers right now anyway, but it also is a pretty good two-stock portfolio. Just diversify you right out to start with. It's a pretty good place to be. And I'll throw you a third one. Um, a company called Treasury Wine Estates, which almost no one will have heard of, but you will have heard of Penfolds or Lindemans or Wins. Um, these are some of the companies, uh, the brands are in the company's portfolio. Uh, if you like a tipple, which I don't mind a glass of red occasionally, um, it's, a, it's a good place to start. Not only that though, the... Growth in China, I think, will continue on. The Chinese consumer is drinking a heap of Australian wines, and it's only growing. Um, the, the growth in volume into China is something like 10 or 15% per year growth. 
And the price growth is even higher than that because they're, A, they're, they're drinking more expensive wines, and B, our local wine makers are actually getting higher prices by selling into China. Now, so that's a really nice one-two punch. Treasury's done a really, really great job. They own the marquee brands, of course, in Penfolds, Grange, and 707, and 407, and 389, for those who, who like their wines and those numbers or names ring a bell. Um, I think Treasury has a really bright future across Asia in general and China in particular. Um, so hopefully they're, they're another business if you're looking for a bit of a bit of growth outside Australia, it's not going to be hyper growth. And again, it'll be volatile. It's been volatile. It will continue to be. Uh, but Treasury Wine Estates, TWE is the code there. Um, I reckon that's a pretty good long-term buy and hold. Again, I don't know what's going to happen next week or next month. No one does. It could well drop by 20%. It could be up 20%. Who knows? Yeah, but I feel really good about owning Treasury for a decade. Ah, awesome! And look, don't think that uh, buying Treasury wine estates and spending seven hundred bucks on a bottle of Grange at Dan Murphy's is going to drive the stock price up. Just to <laughs> make sure we do it, as you said, long term. But uh, have you had a have you have had a bottle of Grange, Scott? Oh, I'm a bit of a red uh, wine man myself. So you know what? I I have I have two bottles of Grange in my in my garage. That don't don't come rob me. Uh, that I, I I used to work at I used to work at, so back in the old days BWS the Woolies bottle shop used to be called Max Liquor, and I worked in I worked in Max Liquor and we got staff discount for buying bottles of wine, and so mate and I bought a couple of bottles of Grange in 1990 I want to say 96 something like that for 100 bucks each, um, and it's still it's still sitting in the garage so um, we're going to drink it sometime soon because it's going to get close to what's uh, now what it's almost almost 30 30 years old I bought it 25 odd years ago. Uh, so we'll probably we'll probably find a good occasion to have a glass. So I never have tasted Grange yet, mate. Um, I've uh, about been four hundred seven is the most expensive I've got in the Penfolds range so far, and even that one was much cheaper. It used to be 30, 35 bucks a bottle. It's now, geez, probably 80, 100 bucks a bottle. Which, by the way, is, is that's that's exactly Treasury's uh, pricing power, right? They moved out of the really cheap stuff. They used to do lots of you know five and ten dollar a bottle. They still do some of that, uh, but the future is in you know what the thing is getting making a bottle of wine that costs ten bucks. Costs about the same as making a bottle of wine that costs 100 bucks. The only difference really is, yeah, the winemakers, or the, sorry, the, the wine growers could probably charge a little bit more for certain vineyards. And yeah, you've got to leave it in barrels for a bit longer. So that costs money because it's, you know, time is money. If you've got to leave it in the, in, the, in, the, in the back of the shed for a couple of years while it matures, that costs you something because it's money you can't make by selling it. But by the time you've sold that $100 bottle of wine, it's probably cost you maybe double the price of the $10 wine to make, but you sold it for 10 times the price. That's pretty bloody good economics as far as I'm concerned. That's why I like Treasury. Yeah. Oh, look, mate, kudos to you being able to um, keep it in the shed for that long. If I was in that situation, (laughs) I'd go down bloody 10 schooners at the pub and think it was a good idea to come home and crack it with the boys. I've thought about it a couple of times. (laughs) I thought about it a couple times just quietly. Actually, I know I was I was fortunate enough to. I got the uh, this a massive tangent. I, I got the wooden case that they came in. And so I actually, I literally have nailed the case shut, uh, mostly, mostly for keeping it, keeping it secure. Keeping uh, but drunk it's probably Scott out of it, eh? <laughs> That's it. But so I opened a case with it, you know, get the claw hammer out and try and get it open. I probably would have fallen over. So it's probably, it's probably kept the wine safe and me out of trouble. Ah, awesome. <laughs> there we go. Well, you never thought we did. We never thought we'd get on the Penfolds Grange tangent, but uh, no, that's awesome. Mate. Look, mate, thanks so much for... Um, uh, spending the time with us today and uh look i hope i hope the investors got a bit out look oh, i guess our key messages are don't buy bloody cfds and low long long <laughs> yeah. slow and boring um and I, it's, it's you know what it sounds terrible and i don't want to dissuade people from that like that's it, it, just very quickly as we finish off if you desperately need to go and take a punt on some shares then put a really small portion of your portfolio aside and call it play money i, I wouldn't do it i don't want you to do it you're not you personally but your listeners but if they have to do it if they want to punt on the specky miner and they can't stop themselves then 
you know, sometimes one of those things where the best advice isn't the advice, you know, the, the most rational advice isn't always the best advice. If you can't help yourself, then it's a bit like losing weight, right? The whole idea of, you know, you've got to, you've got to get back on the wagon at some point. If you need a bit of a, a splurge, a bit of a treat, then yeah, take it. So, you know, if you need to put, you know, 15 bucks on the Specky Miner, 100 bucks on the Specky Miner, I guess do it if you have to. Um, but try and quarantine the rest of your portfolio. If it's a pressure relief valve and you want to go and do that, then fine. But try and quarantine as much of your portfolio as you can for the sensible long-term boring stuff that I promise you, done well in the right companies for the long-term will make you a millionaire by the time you retire. Yeah, nah, definitely, mate. And look, as I said, I wish I could pay pay a hundred grand to go back to when I was twenty and start again. But um, anyway, it's oh, all what, it's absolutely. all onwards and upwards for me, mate. Hopefully, you know, too easy, mate. Thanks, thanks again, Scott. Look, mate, how, what's the best place to get in contact with uh, yourself or the Motley Fool if you're looking people looking to go down that road? Yeah, so the website's fool.com.au, pretty straightforward. If you're on Twitter, um, hit me up at, at TMF Scott P, so TMF The Motley Fool, so TMF Scott P. Um, if you're finished with Matt's podcast, by the time you finish listening to that one, don't lose any episodes of that one, but jump over to Triple M, Motley Fool Money. You can hear a Doc and myself bang on on another podcast. If you haven't heard enough of me banging on today, you can hear more of that. Um, or hit us up on, on at the Motley Fool AU on Twitter or the Motley Fool AU on Facebook. So lots of ways that people can keep in touch. You can buy our servers, of course, and we'll we'll try and send you some ads across some of those platforms uh, if you do come and see us. But if you just you know, all that stuff is free, um, jump on a fool.com.au, hit us up on Twitter, jump on the podcast. You can get plenty of foolish goodness, as we like to say, uh, for, for nothing. And then if you want to go and buy our services, then feel free. Uh, but no pressure. Come and come and get get some get some free information, get some free entertainment, and see how you go from there. Awesome. Too easy, mate. Now, watch your, watch your sign off message message for the listeners scott uh, mate, you know it's very well full yep. on yep right lads and ladies thanks very much for listening and bloody full on cheers